And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Now I'll tell you something that maybe you know, and if you don't know, you need to know that an offertory is not to occupy time till the ushers get through taking up the offering. It is a time to prepare our hearts for what God's getting ready to do through his blessed word. And this precious lady that played this morning, God gave her the ability to play, and she loves to play. It's always a blessing. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He didn't. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 6. Though we'll be focusing in on verse 44, it would be an injustice if we did not read a few of the verses before and after. So, John's Gospel, chapter number 6, verses 35 through 45. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him. Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall be all taught of God. And every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now our text specifically is verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. Human inability. Human inability. The context of our scripture that we've just read for you is the bread of life discourse in which Christ calls himself the bread of life. It begins in verse 25. It goes through verse number 58. Now in verse 35, Christ identifies himself as this bread of life. He equals salvation with coming to him. Jesus said unto them, I am 
the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Salvation. What a subject. Salvation is not in the church. It is not in religion. It is not in denominationalism. It is not in a confession. And it's not in a creed. Rather, it is in Jesus Christ and coming to him. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, this is the record. You want to know what the record is? This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The scripture makes it so clear that to be saved, you have to come to Christ. I mean, you're just going to have to come to Christ in order to be saved. The phrase is found in verse 35, 37, and 45. It's coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. You don't come to Christ, you don't have life. If you come to Christ, you will have life. And the thought of it is amplified in verses 35, 37, 39, 40, and also in verse number 44. It seems like all of a sudden he's been emphasizing you must come to Christ. You must come to Christ. And then there's a negative note here. You cannot come to Christ. But you must come to Christ. But you cannot come to Christ. In verse number 44, I do not know how more clear it could be. No man can come to me. No man can come to me. No man can come to me. And he's using man in the generic sense. All human beings. No man can come to me. Except, and thank God for that exception. There is an exception. What is that exception? Except the Father which hath sent me... Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. We see several things in this text. Perhaps God might enable us to look at two of them this morning. Number one is the sinner's deficiency. The sinner's deficiency. One of the most godly types of philosophy is human secularism. And it is built on the fact that man is a God unto himself. You can do all things if you want to do them badly enough. And if you equip yourself and take advantage of all the opportunities, you can become anything and go anywhere and do anything you want to do because you're a man. How foreign from the scripture is that? A A sinner can do many things. He can join the church. He can be baptized. He can reform his life. He can quit certain vices. 
but he cannot in and of himself come to Christ. What is the explanation for this deficiency? Why can't he come to Christ? Why is it a total impossibility for man on himself to come to Christ? Why is that so? Well, number one, this deficiency lies in the stubbornness of the human will. It lies in the stubbornness. Have you ever noticed? Now, I don't make you mad because we don't have a whole lot of people this morning. I don't want to run anybody off. Uh, But have you ever noticed how stubborn you are? I mean, just mortally stubborn. All of us have a tendency to want our way to do our thing. And if it doesn't happen exactly the way we want it to, we'll pitch a fit because we're stubborn. Stubborn. The deficiency lies in the stubbornness of the human will. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 40, you will not come to me that you might have life. Didn't say they would come. No, you even will not come to me that you might have life. Men come to Christ? Never. But men come to many other things. Men come to religion. Men come to idolatry. Men come to the Masonic Lodge. Men come to the church. Men come to the seminary. Even some men come to a witch doctor, but no man wants to come to Christ because of a human will. It's a deficiency, the stubbornness of the human will. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 19, verse 14, there is a statement made relative to this I've just declared to you. The Bible says in verse 14, Luke 19, 14, his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. Now, that's pretty stubborn, isn't it? We will not have this man. It comes on the end of a parable that our Lord taught When he said a certain journeyman, a certain nobleman rather, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He's speaking of himself. Christ is that journeyman. And he's been gone now for 2,000 years and he's coming again to set up that kingdom. And when he taught that truth, his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man. We will not. Have this man reign over us. We have already voted. It's already been determined. And he's not going to reign over us. That's will. Stubbornness. The stubbornness of the will. In Luke chapter number 14. A certain wedding was planned. Invitations were sent out. And in Luke chapter 14 verses 16 Through 21, he said unto them, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. He invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, 
Come for all things are now ready. And they with all one consent began to make excuse. The first one said, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And in verse 19, another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I've got to go prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And finally, a third one said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. They said, well, they sound like pretty good excuses to me. No, excuses are not worth a dime. You know why they didn't want to come? Because they didn't want to. They didn't want to come, so they started manufacturing some acceptable reasons why the host would understand their absence. The deficiency lies in the stubbornness of the human will. In Luke chapter 13, verse number 34, Christ makes this statement. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. It didn't say he would not. He said you would not. The human will usually seeks to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it and how it wants it done. The deficiency lies in the stubbornness of the human will. That's why men cannot come to Christ. It's a deficiency in the human will. Second of all, this deficiency lies in the darkness of understanding. How can you do a thing if you don't know how to do it? You remember the first time when you learned how to drive a car and everybody on the road was glad you didn't make it? Huh? And you had to learn how. You had to learn what the procedure was. This deficiency of darkness of understanding lies in every human being that comes into this world. There is a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 14, that makes this statement. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now why would a man turn down the Lord's word? Why would he do that? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Why can't he know them? Because they are spiritually discerned. If they are spiritually discerned, the only way a man can know them is that the Spirit manifests it to them. But then of themselves don't have that knowledge. They don't know how. It's called the darkness of understanding. An unsaved man just cannot see how trusting Christ brings salvation. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Huh? Right? The preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Foolishness. That's what it says. But unto us which are saved, 
we say glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It makes sense. And man's mind is gummed up and it is predisposed when a baby's born into this world, he has a mind that has darkness in understanding. When Paul and Silas went to Philippi to preach the word of God there, they found out that the ladies were down by the riverside having a prayer meeting. And Paul went down and expounded to that little Sunday school class of women the gospel. And the Bible tells us that God opened Lydia's heart. Did you get that? God opened Lydia's heart. Let me read the actual account of that. In Acts chapter number 16, verses 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women and resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord Opened that she attended under the things which were spoken of Paul. When did she begin attending under the things which were spoken of Paul? When the Lord opened her heart. You cannot do that. But God can do that. And it is absolutely essential for God to do that if a person's going to be saved because no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. The deficiency lies in the darkness of understanding. And then this deficiency that keeps men from coming to Christ, they don't want to come to Christ, they cannot be saved, this deficiency lies in the corruption of affection. It's what we're all geared to liking. You know the things we like to eat are the things we ought not to eat. And the things we like to drink, we ought not to drink. We have a propensity instilled within us when we are born to like what we like and hate what we hate. It is a matter of corruption of affection. Paul was describing this to Timothy in his epistle, 2 Timothy 3 verse 4, they will become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. If there's any pleasure involved in it, the crowds will come. If it's just coming because you love the Lord, a handful show up. Have you ever noticed there's a reason for that? It's called the corruption of affection. Let me ask you a question. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, what sin are you holding on to that you refuse to give up? Because that's generally always the case. That men don't come to Christ because if they come to Christ, they've got to give up their play toys. And they got some play toys they will not 
give up. By the way, there's a Bible terminology for that. It's called repentance. We have to repent of our pleasures. We have to repent of those things we're doing. Some things are not that bad to do, but we have to repent to the extent that we want God's will to be done. That's what Paul said on the road to Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Prior to that, his biggest joystick was burning down churches. And from that point on, he never burned down another church. It happened because the deficiency lies in this Corruption of affection. Love not the world. In First John. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world. The love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. The pride of life. These are not things of the Lord. They're things of the world, and we're to love not the world. That's why people don't come to Christ. They love, the, they love something else more important to them than that. It's called the deficiency lying in the corruption of affection. Let me proceed with this. Why men will not come to Christ. The deficiency lies in the deadness of conscience. Now, when I was a boy, I was not perfect, really. And I, I, I admit that. And there were some things, and sometimes when I did things that my mother and my daddy taught me that I ought not to do because it's wrong. And when I did them, I began to feel bad about it right here. I'd go to bed at night and try and sleep. I couldn't sleep because my conscience was bothering me. But I found the key to overcoming that. If the things that you're doing that keep you bothered with your conscience, just keep on doing it. And you'll sear your conscience with a hot iron so it no longer functions. Does that make sense to you? Where's the conscience located? You say, well, it's in the heart. No, it's not. It's in the mind. Conscience means we are aware of things going on and decisions that need to be made from time to time. We've been taught this. We've been taught that. We regulate our lives. We make this decision and that decision. It all comes from the mind. But whenever you start entering into pleasing the lust of the flesh instead of coming to the Lord and you do it long enough, it won't matter. I have often said this, some of us sleep too well at night. Some of us sleep too well at night. If our love for Christ is not what it ought to be, and our love for what Christ came to do is not what it ought to be, it ought to bother us. But we're living in a day that nobody seems to be bothered anymore. Conscience is seared with a hot iron. Herod sent out an edict that all Hebrew babies two years old and under would have to be murdered. And you know what? He never lost one wink of sleep over it. You know why? 
Let me answer it with another illustration. In Uvalde, Texas, just recently, May of 22, an 18-year-old boy took an assault weapon into a school building and murdered and shot to death 19 little children. Have you ever asked the question, how could he do that? I'm going to tell you how he could do it. When you kill the first one, the rest of them go just as easy. Don't sin against your conscience. Don't sin against that which you know to be wrong because after a while the conscience becomes inoperative. And you become like a lot of thugs today on the streets that are robbing banks and robbing stores and raping women and nothing bothers them. They're already in hell and don't even know it. Why will not men come to Christ? Because of the deficiency that lies in the element of conscience. Conscience. Let me mention one more on this subject. The deficiency lies in the depravity of human nature. Don't ever make the mistake that it's always a little good in everybody. No, there's a whole lot of bad in everybody. And ultimately it will come out from time to time. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 1, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, no, the church at Ephesus, when he makes this statement, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were quickened, meaning you were dead in it, and God resurrected you with a spiritual resurrection over that of which you were dead. Human nature. When Adam fell, the whole human race fell with him. Some fellow said, well, what happened to Adam in the Garden of Eden is he wrecked his car. He totally wrecked it, didn't he? It could not be repaired. Man will do only that which his nature allows him to do. Man will do only that which his nature allows him to do. Man is born with a depraved nature and he'll only do what that nature allows him to do. Let me illustrate. Put a buzzard in a cornfield and he'll die. Put a crow in the same cornfield and he'll get fat. It's not the nature of the buzzard to eat from the cornfield. You cannot do what your nature won't let you do. A lion eats carnage, but a sheep eats grass. Man might wish to fly, but he cannot. It's not his nature. Whereas a bird has no difficulty. You ever wondered about that? 
nature. You are what your nature is. And salvation, God has to change your nature. And you become a partaker of his divine nature. And that's what being born again is all about. Put a bowl of slop and a tray of grass before a hog. And I'll tell you which one he'll go for every time. You put a bowl of slop before a hog, it won't last long. (laughs) You put a tray of grass, it'll still be there when the sun bleaches it with death. The deficiency lies in the depravity of human nature. You will not come to me that you might have life. No man cometh unto the Father. No man cometh unto Christ except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Let's look quickly at the drawing of the Father. That which must occur if a man comes to Christ. You see verse 44 in our text. Let me reread that for you. Verse 44 in our text says, No man can come to me. He doesn't have the ability to come to me, except the Father which has sent me draw him. Presents the grounds of our election. Is it true no one can come? Now settle that one before you go to number two. I do not believe any man can come. On his own. Do you believe there's some people that can? And second of all, does the Father draw everybody? No, he doesn't. If he drew everybody, then everybody would come. Let the scripture say what it says. Stop trying to interpret it. Just let it say what it says. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Now, this is a very important word in Scripture, and it is used over and over and over. It is a little word, draw. Draw. Let me point out to you several things about this drawing of the Father. Number one, it is a strong drawing. It is a strong drawing. It is the little Greek word, helko, H-E-L-K, long O, helko. This is not merely an influence. This is not just merely a wooing or a gentle nudge that the Holy Spirit might give during an evangelistic service. No, this is a strong pulling, a strong drawing It really means to compel. Notice its usage. In John chapter number 18, verse number 10. And we started off in John 6, so I'll whip it over to John 18, verse number 10. The Bible says this, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servants, and cut off his right ear, the servant's name was Malchus. You remember the story. It has to do with the arrest of Christ. And when Christ was arrested, Simon Peter drew his sword out. But the word is drew. Hell cold. It's not easy to draw a sword. 
It's easier to draw a pistol than it is to draw a sword. You have to pull on it. You have to get it out of the sheath. It's got to come out. That, that idea of a strong drawing. In John chapter 21, verse number 6 and verse number 11. Christ had come to appear before some people, the disciples, after the resurrection. And the Bible says in verse number 6, he said to them, children... He had previously it in verse 5 by saying, children, have you any meat? They said, no, they'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. Let me get the context straight. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it, hell co, for the multitude of fishes. He picks up on the same word in verse number 11, John 21. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. We're not talking about a bunch of minnows here. We're talking about some big fish here. He drew great fishes. How many? A hundred and fifty and three. You think it didn't take a little strength? A little purpose to pull that many fish? To the shore. It is a strong drawing. And in Acts chapter 16. Verse number 9. Acts 16. Verse number 9. I believe that is correct. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia praying him. And saying come over and help us. No I have the wrong reference there. I'm sorry. It's Acts chapter 16, verse 19. Let's try that one. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. Paul and Silas were arrested by the law for preaching the gospel. And a young girl who was possessed by the devil was being used by the devil to insinuate certain things about. And Paul and Silas cast the devil out of her. But they came and arrested them. Now, the kind of an arrest in this word helco is not the kind you hear about today. It's when the police officer walks up and says, first of all, I caught you robbing the bank and I want you to forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. My heart, I, I, I imagine you had a bad, bad childhood. There's no telling what happened to you. I, I, I'm just not going to arrest criminals anymore. No, they arrested them back then. If you ever wonder about that, that's how Paul lost his head. He got arrested. So it's a strong drawing. It is a selective drawing. Does this go to every individual on the face of the earth? No, it does not. It is a selective drawing. Christ made a statement in John twelve thirty two. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's not talking about all human beings unto him, all kinds of men, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, all kinds of men. If that were not the case, 
then everybody would go to heaven. Nobody would go to hell. You'd be a, be a universalist. Because if he draws all men, all of them are going to be saved. No, he doesn't draw every individual man. He doesn't do that. It's a selective drawing. In Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. People of all nationalities will be among those that God the Father draws unto the Son, and they will come to the Son, and they will be saved. It is a selective drawing. Number three, it is a successful drawing. The Lord never has tried to save anybody. (laughs) Why waste the time trying to save people? God saves people. And if God wants to save you, he will save you. And I'll tell you how he'll save you. He'll so tender your life that you'll come to see some things about the Lord Jesus Christ you never saw before. You'll get under conviction and you'll come to Christ. And you'll be saved. A successful drawing. Those who are drawn will be raised up. In Acts, pardon me, in uh, the 6th chapter of John, verses 37 and 39. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, when did the Father give these to the Son? Before the foundation of the world, before they were ever born. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And in verse number 39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. All those the Father will save, those who He gave to the Son before the foundation of the world, a successful drawing. All whom are given are drawn, and all drawn will be saved, and nobody will be lost. That's a fact. Two eye-opening illustrations. The Lord was going down the road to Jericho and there was a little short Jew by the name of Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and he climbed up into a tree and when the Lord passed by, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Now I want to ask you a question. When the Lord said, Zacchaeus, come down, did he? Did he want to? No. If he had not preferred to do so, that's the purpose of climbing up in the tree. He didn't want to get too close to Christ to start off with. But when the Lord said, Zacchaeus, come down. And he made a declaration to another man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus been dead for four days. By this time, the sisters said, Behold, he stinketh. Decomposition had set in. 
And Christ said, Lazarus, come forth. Ask you a question. Did he? You can write this down in your notes. You don't tell a tax collector what to do. You don't tell a tax collector what to do. And number two, you don't tell a dead man what to do. And those are the two examples of men that God told what to do and they did exactly what he told them to do. It is a successful drawing. And I will approach this quickly. It is a sweet drawing. It is a sweet drawing. There is a passage in Psalm 110 verse number 3 that says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. They'll not be willing until God exercises his power. And when God exercises his power, they will be willing. And a verse over in Jeremiah, let me mention it to you quickly. It's Jeremiah chapter number 31, verse number 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He does not forcefully grab us by the nape of the neck and drag us down a church aisle while we kick and try and hold on to pews. He makes us willing, makes us willing. He brings us and draws us with loving kindness. It's not harsh. It's not a rough drawing. But he does this drawing by making the sinner willing. Now, I saw this for the first time this morning. You perhaps have seen it millions of times. I'm slow on some of this. But in verse number 45 of our text, John 6, it says this, It is written in the prophets that they shall be all taught of God. He's talking about the ones that God the Father will draw that will come and result in being coming to Christ. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. The Holy Spirit in this drawing process, he teaches us two things. Number one, he lays bare our heart to sin. There comes a time when you get under conviction that sin doesn't look nearly as good as you thought it did. And you get so tired of it, it makes you sick. It makes you physically sick. There's something about sin that's obnoxious in the sight of God. And God has to make that known to us that we know that God hates sin. As long as we're in love with sin, we'll never be saved. There's got to be a commitment. There's got to be a decision. There's got to be a realization that I don't and will not follow this life anymore. There's another life that God has for me. He lays bare our heart to sin. And second of all, he lays bare the cross as the solution. The only way you'll ever be saved 
is coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. But you can do that, and you will do that when the Holy Spirit begins to draw and to quicken. God does not drag this sinner by the neck. He draws him by the heart. By the heart. I have lived being a Christian for many, many years. And I have been a preacher for many, many years. But I've never heard one sinner ever make this statement who had come to Christ. Boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Man, I miss the old life. I've never heard that in my life. You just, all of a sudden, you start singing a a different song. One other verse, and I will close. In the book Song of Solomon, that's a beautiful book. You need to read that. Beautiful book in the Old Testament. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Draw me, and we will run after thee. Lord, if I'm not running after you, it's because you're not drawing me. But once you start drawing me, I will run after you. How does that translate into results? i tell you how it does. A child may come to his mom or may come to his daddy and say, I, I, I need to be a Christian. I, I want to be a Christian. What, what triggered that? It may have been something the father said, something the mother said, but it is always God dealing in the heart of that child. When you come into a service, somebody comes in, sits down, does not intend to come forward at an invitation, but somehow or another at a precise moment in time, he begins to see himself lost and that Christ is the only way for salvation. And you don't have to sing 15 stanzas of Almost Persuaded and hope and pray that he'll answer. answer. Oh, if the sinner would just answer one. You don't have to. Matter of fact, you don't even have to sing. I've seen them almost jump to benches to come to Christ. When the Lord calls. I've used this illustration many, many times. And it's probably, it limps like all my illustrations do. My name is Dan Cozart. My full name is Daniel Watts Cozart. I used to hate that word Watts until I found out. God had some pretty strong Christians who who shared that name, Watts. But my mother would come at supper time to the door of the house, the, the door leading outside, and she would say, Danny, it's supper time. Come on home. Thirty minutes later, I was still playing out in the field. And she'd say, Daniel, watch! You get yourself to this house, boy. It didn't take me five seconds to get home because of the strongness of that call. I want to tell you, if God ever starts dealing with your heart, people better get out of the way. You'll walk over them to come to Christ. And I hope you're here today. And that God might reveal that to you and show you that and cause you and enable you through his power to come to Jesus Christ for salvation.
Let's stand please for prayer.